CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the podcast, Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash. We always appreciate it so much. We get our listeners to check out our conversations about investing, finance, and retirement with Don. Of course, Don's a CPA and a CFP at Donald W. Cash and Associates. And Don, my friend, how are you this week? Doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I, I was telling Don as we just got started, I've had a day. Uh, I had a flat tire today and uh, and I hadn't had one in years and it was kind of like threw me for a loop as to you know what I needed to do right away. When's the last time you had a flat tire, Don? Oh gosh, God, it's got to be twenty years, yeah. Mark. I, I'm, <laughs> when you mentioned it to me, I said, "Mark, what are you doing yeah. with a flat tire?" Yeah, I'm assuming it's called AAA, or right? Get right. someone over to fix it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a skill we've lost, you know. And and what they, I've got one of these, you know, big trucks, you know, Chevy, and they have these special lug nuts that you have to use the special wrench when you buy the the little thing they give you when you buy the car to take the nuts mm-hmm. off and all that stuff. And you know, it's just so complicated anymore. You know, you used to take a screwdriver, pop off your hubcap, you know, boom. Boom, 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 take off your, you know, your lug nuts, swap it out and go. And this, I swear, it's like an ordeal. <laughs> you know, they make it complicated. I'm sure I could figure it out, Mark. It's like riding a bicycle. It comes back to you, but exactly. I hope I don't have to go through it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So anyway, that that was my day. But I hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a good couple of weeks since the last time I talked to you. Yeah, indeed. I mean, we're into the fall mode here and uh, weather's cooler and uh, actually looking forward to the leaves changing, the yeah. seasons changing. Cool. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Looking P- forward pumpkin to- Pumpkin uh, spice to- uh, uh, month or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> that starts to take everybody starts talking about pumpkin spice all through the fall season. But let's get into our program. Let's not keep wandering around. I want to ask you about all the discussion, Don, about the interest rates. You know that we know they cut it, uh, and then we're hearing that they may cut it some more, or there's interest in cutting it more. How does this discussion and concept affect uh, us as individual investors? Well, it's amazing, Mark, uh, how much influence, whether it's perceived or real, the Fed has on activities of the market today. The reason I say that is the history of the Federal Reserve, actually, it's really fascinating. It only goes back to about 1913, not to the country's founding. Yeah, it's not as old as people think it is. No, it's not. A lot of people don't realize that. Here's a little pop quiz for you, Mark. What Uh branch of the government Uh is the Federal Reserve a part of? Branch of the government? None, right? That's right. Yeah. It's, a, it's very right. astute of you. Yeah. It's a, a private bank. And a lot of people don't realize that if you pull out a $20 bill, right on the top, it says Federal Reserve Note. Right. Right? Right. So the question is, how does a private bank exert so much influence over the world economy? <laughs> it's true. Well, just a, a little lesson. It has deep government, federal government ties. There are 12 Federal Reserve districts. Okay, there's seven presidents, and New York is clearly the most powerful. The chairman of the Federal Reserve, as many people know, is Jerome Powell. He replaced Janet Yellen, who right. replaced Ben Bernanke, and they serve for a period of time, and they either get renewed or, or resign. So if you look on the dollar bill, this is interesting. There's a letter on the left side with the name of the Federal Reserve Bank 
on the seal. So I'm looking at one right now. It says uh, L in the note, and I believe, and it's a tough one to take a look at. If I look at closely, I believe it says the Federal Reserve Bank of California. Oh, wow. So that's just one of the banks. And if you look at a dollar bill, you'll see that. So it's a little cool little uh, lesson on how the Federal Reserve works. So the Federal Reserve, what they do is they control, mark the short-term interest rates, not all interest rates, but short term. Okay, right. So currently the the Federal Reserve, what they call federal funds rate is 2.25%, quite low. The prime rate, this is the rate that banks use to uh, establish lending to their best customers. The lending rate is 5.5%. And most credit card rates are around 20%. So you can see that's how the banks simply make money. They borrow at low rates and they lend out at high rates. So the rates were lowered from 2.5%, 2.5% to 2.25% in July. And we had nine straight increases, Mark, from 2015 to 2018. So it went from almost zero, it was a quarter of a percent to 2.5% before it was just recently lowered in July. Now it looks like the Fed wants to lower rates again, likely by a quarter percent, and they could do it even further than that beyond September. The meeting is uh, in September to to lower that rate. So the decision to lower in July was not unanimous, by the way. The Kansas City Federal Reserve president did dissent. Right, right. Well, Don, I mean, okay, so we're hearing these conversations, and if a lot of conversations is things are looking pretty good overall, but why are they cutting it? And that's where I think some of the concern and conversation comes in. So why lower them now, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. It's unusual when you look at it because one, unemployment is low. Yeah. Right. Workforce participation is high and consumer confidence and spending is strong. So what they're saying at the Fed is that it's justified due to a slowdown in growth, these persistent trade and tariff issues that we've discussed in the past. Right. Also a general worldwide slowdown in economic activity. So the Federal Reserve has what they call a dual mandate or a basic objective. One is to maximize employment and two is to stabilize prices or think about it as stabilizing inflation. The third is actually influencing moderation of long-term interest rates as well, but they don't control that. The interest rate the Federal Reserve wants to see in the economy, or they should say the inflation rate that the Federal Reserve wants to see in the economy is about 2%. And we're below that right now. So it's about 1.5%. So what they're trying to do is spur economic activity. Now, the effect on consumers is a few things. One, the credit card interest rates will be lower. Right. The interest rates on home equity lines of credit will be lower. The interest rate on adjustable rate mortgages could be lower. And the rate on uh, most car loans will be lower. So the process is lower rates equals more money in the pockets of consumers, which equals more growth. And what they're thinking is a slight uptick in inflation. Now, they don't want it to be too high, but they want it to be higher than what it is now. Right. I mean, yeah, and all that makes a lot of sense and really good information, Don. You know, I was watching somebody the other day and they were talking about and also heading into the fourth quarter, the end of the year, that also helps spurn uh, the economic spending for holiday season. So all of those things sound good and it seems all good then. Well, it's good. It's got, you know, some excellent characteristics, but it's not entirely good. It's bad for savers. Okay. It's good for people 
that have debt and loans and businesses who borrow money. So when I say bad for savers, we're going to see a lower rate on CDs and money markets, <laughs> which are pretty rates low are headed anyway. lower. Yeah. And that's something we've been dealing with for many, many years. But a potentially bigger story that's getting some press, it's really, you know, for people like myself who are kind of geeks and nerds about these kind of thing, is the inverted yield curve, right? We mentioned that last time we uh, we spoke, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So that means that the long-term interest rates are lower or they're similar to the short-term and the mid-term rates. So if you think about it this way, a normal yield curve would be sloping upward. So you might have 2% short-term rates, 5% in the midterm, and 7% for long-term interest rates. Right now, the so-called yield curve is inverted or really flat. So we have, a, as we mentioned, a 2.25% federal funds rate, about a 1.5%, 1.6% 10-year government bond rate, and a 2% 30-year bond rate. Oh, jeez. So investors are willing to lock up their money for 30 years at 2%? Yeah, it's hard to believe. But, you know, that does occur. That is occurring. There's a very strong demand for long-term bonds. A lot of these, the demand for long-term bonds are from insurance companies and other businesses that want to tie that money up long-term. But particularly the insurance companies have a big appetite for long-term yield. And different funds also are kind of on autopilot when it comes to buying longer-term duration bonds. But a lot of businesses, a lot of investors, they see low growth or deflation, which is a potentially bigger problem. The effect on consumers now with these interest rates being low is mortgage rates are low, historically low. So you have a 30-year mortgage rate in the 3 to 3.5% 3 range. So what I share with people when it comes to this is refinance now if you can and tell everyone. So if your friends or family members, children have interest rates that even if they took it a year or so ago are at a much higher rate, then they can really have an opportunity right now to refinance, lock in these rates for 30 years and save quite a bit of money every month. The other benefit, the other effect on the market is companies can borrow cheap and keep prices low and as well as increase their profits. Right. So a, a big company like a Home Depot or you, you know you could think of the the growth companies like Amazon or Alphabet, Google can borrow at cheap rates, lock that in for a long time and really have a predictability in the cost of their debt over a period of time. So the benefit there is there's more money for consumers more money for businesses and increased activity, economic activity. Thus, what we have is the bond yields rising, the short-term interest rate rising, inflation picks up. What they want is the yield curve to return to that normal upward slope. Yeah, because Don, and let me just ask you a quick side note there on that, because I saw someone talking, a gentleman talking, made not a lot of sense, and he was saying the inverted yield curve, people started talking about that predicts a, a recession. And he said, well, it, it can, and it has, there's some track records to that, but it has to be a sustained yield curve. So these moves are to try to bring that yield curve back in line to your point, because it hasn't yet been a, a sustained yield curve. Is that correct? 
That's right. And again, some of these, the downward pressure on yields at the far end of the curve on the long end are being pushed by things we I just mentioned about right, the insurance right. companies trying to match the durations and some of this automatic trading pushing down those yields. So people are always trying to read the tea leaves saying, okay, is this going to be an indicator <laughs> of a recession? It, it has in the past, but not necessarily because of the things we just mentioned. Gotcha. Well, really great information. Fantastic podcast here today. Your Money in Your Life with Don Cash. As always, you can go to donaldcash.com. That is donaldcash.com and check him out there. You can call if you have some questions or concerns or want to get a second opinion on the plan you have or just get a plan in general and talk about your retirement strategies. Reach out to Don at 800-664-1183. It's 800-664-1183. And uh, what we'll do is we'll turn to the website actually right now for our cash connection. Uh, email questions that do come into the website. Again, it's donaldcash.com. Submit yours there if you'd like. And it's from Raymond in Red Bank. He says, hey, Don, I own my own business and haven't paid much into Social Security over the years, even though I've had a nice income. Is this going to be problematic for me in retirement? For some reason, I just never worried about it. But now I'm the ripe old age of 58 and it's on my mind. Well, first of all, Raymond, a ripe old age of 58, not so old. (laughs) I used to think that was old, but not any longer. Good news for Raymond is actually you have paid into the Social Security system. It's just not likely been through your payroll like many people who are employed with a big company, but through something called the self-employment tax as a part of your quarterly estimated payments during the years. So a a little refresher here, the the self-employment tax, the rate is 15.3%. So that's what Raymond's been paying over these years. That includes a 2.9% Medicare tax and actually a 12.4% Social Security tax. And a lot of people think that's quite high. They think of Social Security being around 6%. But if you're self-employed, you pay both the employee and the employer portion of the Social Security tax. So people who think the Social Security tax is 6.2%, and it is, actually you're paying 6.2%. But if you're working for a company, the employer also matches that 6.2%. That's where the 12.4% comes from. So the Social Security tax is paid up to a payroll maximum of about $133,000, and then you don't need to pay any more Social Security or self-employment tax. But you do, as I mentioned, have that Social Security benefit and perhaps a very strong one. So what I would suggest to Raymond is that he can go to the Social Security website, it's ssa.gov, and either proceed to a tab there, it's very clearly marked, it says, Estimate My Retirement Benefit, or you can register to get a PDF file of the entire statement that will show the benefit at age 62, 67, and 70, as well as some ancillary information on disability benefits and benefits for the family. But here's a tip for Raymond or anyone who's interested in looking at their statement. Go to page three of the Social Security statement and see your entire earnings history, Mark. And there you can check for accuracy. So it'll show your entire work history from the time you started work. And it'll show all of the contributions into the Social Security and Medicare system. And I found once in a while there are inaccuracies there. And if they're inaccurate on the low end, which is 
the most common thing you say, you know, you can perhaps get that fixed and bump up your social security earnings history and thus have an increase in your benefits once you draw from social security at whatever age you do, whether it's 62 or 67 or an older age. Social security is based on your highest 35 years of work history. So the social security tax, that self-employment tax, it's good for someone to know about also if they retire and continue to have a healthy income from consulting or self-employment after they leave their career as an employee. Mark, I find that a lot of people do decide to go back to work after they quote unquote retire and they have some self-employment income, they pay their tax and it's pretty cool that they can get a bump up in their social security income, even if they think they're retired and not getting those credits any longer. Well, great question, uh, Raymond. Thank you so much for submitting that in. Really informative answer as well, and a nice tip in there for you. And the great thing about podcasts, uh, if you can always replay this, you can always share this with uh, other folks you think might need it. So, Raymond, thank you so much for submitting that in. And we're going to finish up this week's podcast with a little fun getting to know you. Uh, I'm going to hit Don with a question that doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, finance and retirement and all that stuff, just to kind of change it up a little bit. So, Don, I got a good one for you this week as we depart. Uh, what universally well-known movie, like, you know, just one of those movies everybody has seen, but maybe you haven't? Mm, good question. As I mentioned, I think last time we spoke, my family, are, they're more the moviegoers than myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big movie guy, but the one that comes to mind is uh, Gone with the Wind, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's Yep. That is, I think it was one of the first, if not the first movie that was made in color in the late 1930s. I, I believe so. Do you know if that's true? I think it is. It was either, I always get it confused with that or Wizard of Oz, whichever one came first with the color. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it was around the same time. But the one thing that kind of held me back from seeing this movie, and it sounds fascinating, it's about history and love history of, of the South, is uh, it's, I think, something like four hours yeah, long. Yeah, it's a doozy. A very long movie. Yeah, it is a doozy. I have seen it mostly because my mom is a huge fan. So growing, I think I've seen it over the course of like, my childhood because I think I would catch bits and pieces of it because she's she's one of those that would watch <laughs> this movie like annually type of thing. Well, Mark, this is the reason I gave up golf. Four hours is a lot of time to commit to anything anymore in my life. <laughs> That's a great point. Well, maybe maybe one day if you're, you know, I don't know, if you're under the weather or something and you're, you're bedridden or couch ridden, you can pull it up on Netflix or something like that. Good point. Maybe I will. There you go. Well, great show. Thanks so much for being here, Don, as always. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Your Money and Your Life with Don Cash. Uh, he's a CPA and a CFP at Donald W. Cash and Associates. As always, as we remind you, make sure you subscribe to the show. You can do so at donaldcash.com. You can check out the podcast on various outlets, Podbean, Apple, Google, Stitcher, a lot of different places, wherever you get your podcasting from. Subscribe to it. You can also share it with uh, others that you think uh, might benefit from it. We would certainly appreciate that as well. And if you have questions, if you hear something that piques your interest, you need to learn more before you take action, call Don at 800-664-1183. That's 800-664-1183. For Don Cash, I'm Mark Killian. We'll see you next time here on Your Money and Your Life. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.